Hi, this is Andy of Andy's Personal Development, and we are currently live in the breakout room. So, welcome and welcome, and we love being here for you with quality and value to inspire and to transform. Remember, we are on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, and iTunes. Today, as usual, we have a special guest to share with you for your development and growth and to live your better informed life. So, grab a cup, pull up a seat, and stay tuned for the introduction right here, now, live in the breakout room. Hi, this is Andy of Andy's Personal Development, and we welcome our next guest in the breakout room. Welcome to Jeff Rasley. He is an author, a speaker, philanthropist, and social activist. In his own words, he said, I built a successful career in law and business and was the senior partner in a small firm and a millionaire by the time I was 40. He's the author of 11 books, including You Have to Get Lost Before You Can Be Found, Godless, Living a Valuable Life Beyond Beliefs, and False Prophet. Jeff Rasley, a man who is a traveler and so much more. So, let's welcome our guests live in the breakout room. Jeff Rasley. And we are live, and Jeff is in the breakout room, and he's in good spirits. Welcome, Jeff Rasley. How are you doing this afternoon? Oh, thank you for having me, Andy. I'm well, uh, <laughs> and I'm glad you're doing well, too. Thanks for that introduction. You're very welcome, and thank you also for taking the time to be with us. We are live in the breakout room on Andy's personal development and we have our special guest, Mr. Jeff Rasley, in our midst. He's a man of many moments and many talents. I've traveled a lot of miles. I've done a lot of good work, including uh, activism work, social activism work, being a legal partner for many who were uh, depressed and set aside, so to speak, in terms of their level of commitment to, to society. And also a man who has been a philanthropist uh, along with his wife and has done so many good things for communities basically all over the globe. So we welcome you and we thank you for being on the show. So tell us before you became involved in the work that you're doing now and even before you became a millionaire. What was Jeff Rasley like? How would you describe yourself in your teen days? Uh, in my teens, well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> those are those are years my parents would not want to relive. Oh my my my! <laughs> uh, on, on the one hand, I was a very good kid because I was a good student. I was a three-sport athlete, um, a member of the student council. On the other hand, I was a little bit wild, um, enjoyed partying. Um, when I was 18, I walked to the edge of my hometown, stuck out my thumb and hitchhiked across the country. And uh, uh, a year, year and a half later, 
when I was 19, um, a friend and I took a motorcycle trip from northern Indiana uh, all the way across the U.S. down through Mexico. And so that, I sort of, uh, that was the beginning of, my, of many great travel adventures. Okay, wonderful. In your own esteem, what would you consider any one event to be the most exciting in your life? Something that is at the top of your mind that you cannot forget and will always remember? Because my wife might listen to this, I have to say <laughs> marriage and the birth of our children. I hear but you. In, <laughs> in, uh, in, in third place, mm -hmm. uh, there, there's really a, a tie. Um, I had uh, an amazing experience solo kayaking uh, in the South Pacific mm -hmm. around an island chain called Palau, uh, where I got lost at night wow. by myself mm. and en ended up having this uh, just fantastically beautiful experience um, that uh, I've, I've described in one of my books. Um, and uh, th then, well, <laughs> another time, I mean, this, this reminds me of being in the water uh, because I got to uh, touch a humpback whale and oh. her baby in mm -hmm. Tonga, swimming mm -hmm. off Tonga, which just okay. had the tsunami and, uh -huh. you know, I was really devastated by that, unfortunately. But then I've also I've survived an avalanche uh, in the Himalayas in which three people were killed, um, which was really awful. But at the same time, you know, an amazing experience because of the just the, the strength um, and courage I saw in other people who, who worked to, to save um, people and to help me and my team uh, mm -hmm. get out of there. So. Yeah, so I've you know I've had a had a number of experiences, um, like you know really sort of high testosterone level crazy adventure experiences, um, but I've also had a wonderful kind of normal domestic life, raising two boys and long term marriage, um, so. It's it's been good on both the sort of regular, um, ordinary, getting through daily life, and then some uh, pretty amazing, awesome experiences. Great, great. Thanks for sharing, Jeff. Sounds like you have a lot to be thankful for. <laughs> and that's good. That's good. Um, what about your work that you're doing with the Bassa Village Foundation? Could you tell us a little bit about that? I'd be glad to, and thanks yes. for asking. Sure. Um, so I discovered this little village in the uh, remote area of Nepal mm -hmm. um, back in 2006. I was on a mountaineering expedition, and it turned out that all the guys that were uh, that worked with our climbing team, the porters, the guides, the cook um we're all from this one little village mm -hmm. and in uh the course of spending uh three or four weeks you know hiking through the himalayas and climbing with these guys um i learned that they had a little village school that had three grades and they really wanted to add a fourth and a fifth grade and they told me that if i would um 
contribute $5,000, they could add a fourth and a fifth grade and hire two more teachers and pay their salaries for three years. Okay. And so I thought, you know, $5,000 to give, you know, two more years of education to these village kids. How could you say no? Um, but I didn't want to just give the money myself. I wanted to turn this into a uh, a real project and bring in okay. friends. And so uh, a bunch of people contributed to it. And two years later, uh, several of us hiked to the village, which just doing that was an amazing experience. We had to cross over two 10,000 foot high peaks and uh, it was quite a journey because it actually started out with 10 people. Uh, mm -hmm. two, two of them dropped out before we got to Nepal and only three of us actually made it to the village. Okay. But uh, it, it was, that was an amazing experience. The, the entire village, about 250 people were waiting for us when we got there. They had created an arch uh, made out of bamboo and with a painted welcome sign and they literally covered us in flowers wow and uh it, it was um it, it was just this the the most um gratifying experience in terms of appreciation i've ever had you know i mean i've you know done some philanthropic projects and people mm -hmm. are you know have been grateful but to be literally covered in flowers was mm -hmm. was an amazing wonderful experience so that was the beginning of it, and and that one project just morphed into a a five hundred one c three tax exempt foundation, and we've done a water, hydroelectric, medical clinic, uh, just a, a number of other projects in the Basa area since then, and the foundation continues to to do that kind of work. Wow, I, I can't begin to imagine Jeff. Uh, how it feels to basically make that kind of contribution to the development of people's lives, especially those that need it the most. How satisfying and fulfilling is that for you? I mean, in terms of when you look at the, the people and their reaction, I mean, you were showered with flowers and, and I can't even imagine what that would feel like, but I know it was a great feeling, but how much fulfillment do you get out of this, knowing that you have made a difference and added value to people's lives? Well, it, it's, yeah, tremendously fulfilling. On the other hand, mm -hmm. I have had this concern mm -hmm. uh, from the very beginning, which is how how are we affecting their local culture? Okay. Um, because when I first went there in 2008, there was no running water, no electricity, wow. no wow. telephones, no radio, no TV, no vehicles with wheels. Right. Um, you know, the way you got around is you walked. They, the people were living exactly the same way that they had for hundreds and hundreds of years, subsistence farmers, mm -hmm. no cash economy, everything was just barter. And, um, you know, the one change was this school. And then they uh, they wanted uh, electricity, so we build a hydroelectric system. And then they wanted running water, and so they have uh, you know gradually working with the foundation um, acquired 
the the basic infrastructure of, of what we sort of consider you know absolute minimum <laughs> right, 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 uh, right for uh for a for a village mm-hmm. um but so to try to make sure that we didn't have a, a negative effect on the culture um we implemented a, a couple principles in the way we do the the foundation's work um, one of them is that every project we do has to be requested by the village. So we don't say to the village, hey, you know, we think you ought to have uh, a medical clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, so each of these projects has been their original idea. Then another principle is that we work with uh, a local NGO, which is made up of uh, sort of senior respected members of the village um but most of whom now live in Kathmandu where we could communicate with them um and then the third principle is that the villagers have to do all the work in terms of like they had to build the school they had to build the the water system the electrical system Mm -hmm. so all of the structures and then they have to own and run it. So they right, created right. a school board, they created a utility board, they trained or um, sent to a technical school, two guys to learn how to run the electrical system. So, you know, all we do is we provide the funding, we provide um, expertise in terms of, you know, how to, to build something uh, if they need it, but they do all the work and they own it. So it's we're trying to be very careful not to create a sort of welfare dependency yeah, culture. Yeah. Sounds great. Um, I'm thinking that there are so many lessons that I'm hearing in there. Obviously, some that you would have learned and you would have seen the people there develop as well because they had the opportunity to be hands-on. And so a certain level of ownership in terms of what they were doing would have been something that they would have learned. What other life lessons you think they would have learned? And for you personally and your team, what are some of the things that you would have gathered from these people as a result of the experience? Well, it, you know, it, it's a really great question because I uh, I think that when you do philanthropy or charitable work, mm-hmm. th- there needs to be a mutual aspect to it it shouldn't right. just be one way mm-hmm. and so um i i feel like i've gained a, a tremendous amount um by having this relationship with the village because they've you know they've welcomed me uh, into their village they they <laughs> they call me jeff die which means uh big brother so okay. jeff big brother right. right and they treat the people that I've brought in to the village over the years um, with great respect, and they've shown us their culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've sat, you know, in their school, seen experience how they teach their kids. Um, they've shown us how each of the projects work. Uh, they've taught us songs. They've taught us some basic language, dancing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they have given a part of their culture to us right. in appreciation for what we've done for them. Excellent. Wow. Thanks for sharing, Jeff. 
Um, I realized that um, in an in an earlier effort, you co-founded something entitled the Goshen Walk for Hunger. Could you share some of that aspect with us a little bit? Well, that was when I was in high school. Yeah. Um, and I was a senior in high school, and actually, my my girlfriend at the time, uh, who was a junior in high school, we were both on the student council, and were, you know, sort of uh, student activist types. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had heard about these projects that uh, towns in the U.S. were doing. Um, which were called Walks for Hunger. And there was actually an organization uh, that would help you, you know, kind of guide you through the process. Yeah. But so we we organized uh, the first one in our hometown of Goshen, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was a fundraiser where we would ask parents and teachers and coaches and merchants uh, to pledge a certain amount of money, you know, maybe a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars for each mile that we would walk. And then we got uh, we recruited um, students and, and some adults, but mostly other high school students. And we had a couple hundred um, kids participate in the walk. And we started off with we we had a local rock band, which is made up of friends of ours, you know, right. play to get everybody revved up and the the mayor and the principal of the school uh, gave little speeches. I gave, uh, you know, an introductory uh, speech about what we were doing. And, you know, we raised uh, several thousand dollars that went, uh, and the way it worked is half of it was supposed to go to uh, a foreign or international fund. And the other half was supposed to go to a, a domestic so we sent money down to Peru. Um, I think, it, and I can't, it's been so long ago, I can't remember if it was a hospital or a school, mm-hmm. and to uh, a Native American and Indian reservation uh, out in uh, Southwest. So it was, uh, you know, that, that was really um, the first uh, philanthropic project uh, yeah. that I, that I, you know, kind of led, but my, I have to, my, my girlfriend uh, did as much work, if not more than I did. So props to her too. Yeah, Jeff, thanks for sharing. And it, it had to start from somewhere and I was wondering. And so uh, it kind of leapt out at me and I said, I would ask you about it. But after you realized that you had made millions, uh, you said around age 40, what took place after that there was a paradigm shift in your life something changed what happened along those lines after you you had made all these millions <laughs> well at that point at that point it was only about one million okay fair <laughs> a, enough. A, few, a, a few more followed okay yeah. <laughs> but um yeah but that that had sort of been a financial professional goal of mm-hmm. mine and uh what was really strange was so uh, I, I hit 40 I had achieved this financial goal of you know I had an investment investments worth of over a million dollars by then um, I had a wonderful absolutely wonderful life in the sense that uh, my uh, law business was going well I had a small law firm um, my wife and my two boys we had a great home 
I was very active in the community. Um, so everything on the surface just looked like this ideal life. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I found myself, you know, the the song, Is That All There Is? It's like this, you know, <laughs> yes. this song, yes. sort of, <laughs> Is That yeah. All There Is, came mm. alive um, in in me. And it was like, okay, I've achieved what I thought I wanted to, but I just, it, I don't really feel fulfilled. I mean, mm. like, and my wife um, is very smart, sensitive person. Yeah. Recognize the symptoms of a midlife crisis. So uh, one day I came home from the office and she slapped this brochure down on the table in front of me and said, why don't you go do this? And it was a brochure to join a trekking group and hike the Mount Everest base camp trail. Okay. And what uh, she had realized was that that adventurous part of my personality that, you know, had been so important when I was younger was just was getting starved. Mm. Um, you know, yeah, we did yeah. we did some, you know, great family vacations. But in terms of me, you know, going off on either a solo adventure or with just uh, one friend, I hadn't done that for quite a while. And so she recognized I needed to do that. So I did. And uh, I fell in love with the Himalayan mountains, which somebody growing up in the flatland of Indiana, you know, ain't any mountains around here. (laughs) Uh, It was just, you know, the beauty of the Himalayas was just so spectacular. It really touched me. And I was, um, so impressed with the people that live up in the Himalayas. Sir Edmund Hillary described the Sherpa people as the strongest and the kindest people in the world. Wow! And uh, I thought his description was accurate. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to keep going back, but I decided I wanted to learn how to become a mountain climber. And so I did that. And then that you know, as I explained, eventually uh, evolved into the BASA Foundation. And now, you know, that's more important to me than the trekking or climbing. Great. Thanks for sharing, Jeff. Uh, we are approaching about half time now and we're just going to break for a short commercial. But we will be right back in the breakout room on Andy's personal development with our guest, Mr. Jeff Rasley. He has some more endearing and inspirational stuff to share with you. So don't go anywhere. We will be back shortly as we take this commercial break. Stand by, folks. Hi, people. This is a special invitation for you to join our community. Yes, we're inviting you to join our community for 2022. What's in store? Well, what we want is your feedback on our content and our guests but more so on what you need to be inspired and transformed from your current condition to one of happiness, health, and prosperity. So drop us a line and reach out. Help us to better help you achieve your goals. So, people, inbox me at www.facebook.com slash mddreamer slash. That's www.facebook.com slash mddreamer. 
mdreamer/slash. Or send me an email at lovebitsa at gmail.com. That's lovebitsa at gmail.com. We love hearing from you as we build our partnership in growth and development. And we look forward to your communicating. Help us to help you to live a better life in personal growth and development from Andy's personal development. We love you. We look forward to hearing from you. See you soon. Bye for now. And we are back live in the breakout room with our guest, Mr. Jeff Rasley. Um, I'm very, I'm very intrigued by the fact that you have written 11 books. And I'm beginning to think that must have been a tremendous amount of work, research, effort, and time. I, I would like for you to share with our listeners your experience in how you, how you got the first inspiration to start and how did you do all that research, finding the time to do all that research to commit them to books? I mean, 11, that's a lot. So, so how did it happen? Yeah, and Andy, it's actually 13 now. Yeah, you I've, go. Yeah, you I've, go. I've had two, uh, two published this year, uh, mm. which is a record for me, two in one year, and, mm -hmm. and I'm working on another. But, um, you know, I, I, I grew up around writers. My mom was a, a journalist and a newspaper editor. Uh, my stepfather, my step-grandfather were, were both newspaper editors. Um, my wife is a writer who's actually published more books than me and mm, English wow. professor. So I've been, you know, sort of surrounded by other people that are writers. Um, so it never felt, you know, sort of strange or odd or special. Uh, I started writing poetry, which was pretty pathetic stuff when I was a teenager. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and then I uh, did some short stories uh, mm -hmm. in college, which actually a, a few got published and then started writing more serious articles uh, while I was practicing law and, and a lot of travel articles mm -hmm. as well as law articles. And yeah. as I was winding down, uh, practicing law, I finally had the time to uh, really to to write a, a, an entire book. So the first book I wrote, which was False Prophet, um, is a legal thriller. It's like a John Grisham type novel, you know, mm -hmm. a murder mystery with a legal case, and it was based on a case I actually had. Okay. So the research for that book was easy because the, the the research required was was law and uh, you know the criminal process mm -hmm. and then just imagining you know trying to you know imagining the characters what would they be like what would they do what would they say and then describing the environment and so you know when you're writing fiction the challenge is you have to imagine this whole world yeah 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 um, if you're writing nonfiction, which I, I've written about an equal amount of both, mm -hmm. you the challenge is to getting it right, you know, being accurate. Yeah. And so on the one hand, fiction, you you imagine this world and then you're trying to make it understandable to your reader. Right. And then the nonfiction is you're just you're trying to accurately describe 
you know, experiences, ideas, yeah, feelings yeah. that you've actually had and to try to be as accurate and truthful as you have. So, mm -hmm. you know, each has a, each is a very unique challenge and I like doing both. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks for sharing. But if you have to choose one of your publications and you have 30 now, um, would you be biased enough to say that one stands out or one really has the expressive version of the things that you want to see and it has reached a whole lot of people? Would you would you pick one that you say stands out in all of your 13 publications? Well, you know, it, it's, it, it always feels like it's the last one. You know, the oh. last one I just did is my favorite. But truly, like, if you said, okay, you have to throw away and make them never to have existed. You never actually wrote all but one. Which uh -huh. one would you save? And it would be, you have to get lost before you can be found. Okay. Um, because okay. it describes what what we've been talking about mostly right, is right. transforming from an adventure, you know, mountaineer. Uh, I want to have a really wild, cool experience to becoming a committed philanthropist mm -hmm. and being pushed into that by my wife telling me, hey, buddy, go take a hike on the other side of the world. Right. Um, hey, Jeff, if you had the opportunity to advise young persons who are thinking about coming, becoming philanthropists and having that kind of impact on the world, what would you say to them in terms of guidelines, um, maybe mindset, commitment, attitude? What are some of the things you would advise them to do? Yeah, I actually uh, teach a course. Um, this will be my fourth, fifth uh Fourth, yeah, fourth okay. uh, year teaching a course on philanthropy at Butler mm -hmm. University or local Excellent. university. Excellent. And um, so, uh, what I want these students, you know, these 18 to 22 year olds to understand about philanthropy is if you go back to the, the root of that word mm -hmm. in, in, in the Greek, is love of humanity. Right. Um, and so philanthropy should be an expression of love of humanity. But, you know, interesting, you, you really made this point before, is that goes two ways. Yeah. It isn't just, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give stuff or I'm going to give my time and somebody is sort of passively going to receive that. And, you know, that's welfare. All right. Um, and so there has to be this quality of love that's involved, which should, if it's working properly, uh, benefit the giver and the receiver, and that, that there isn't just a one-way uh, unilateral aspect mm -hmm. to the relationship. But And the other thing, in terms of just sort of practical advice, like what, what should you get into, yeah. Um, what I want um, students and, and people that are thinking about this to understand is it shouldn't feel like painful work. I mean, it might right. be work, but it ought to be something you enjoy, something that makes you feel good, that, you know, that turns you on. 
So in my case, I coined the, the term philanthrotrekking to describe, you know, combining philanthropy with trekking because I, right, I loved right, right. trekking in the Himalayan mountains and I combined that with um, with the philanthropy project. So if you can, you know, find something that you love doing that benefits other people, that's that's the best way to do philanthropy. Okay, great. That sounds really good, really enticing and, and really inspirational. Thanks, Jeff. We had recently a number of adjustments that a whole lot of people all over the world had to make because of uh, the pandemic. And I'm wondering if you and your people had to make any adjustments and how that you know affected the, the effective and smooth operation of uh, the things that you're involved in. What kind of adjustments did you have to make as a result of the negative effects of the pandemic? Yeah, uh, to put it bluntly, it really sucks. <laughs> uh, I know, I know, I know. Wow. The, yeah, the, the the big adjustment is we haven't been able to go to Nepal. Mm. And so we, we uh, you know, since 2008, uh, either me with a group or somebody on our board has gone to Nepal every year. And, right. and oftentimes uh, twice because spring and fall are the trekking seasons and you, you mm -hmm. don't go in the summer because the monsoon, you don't go in the winter because mm -hmm. the snow is so deep, you can't okay. walk through it. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, so we haven't, we haven't been over there uh, since the pandemic started and Nepal has been hit hard. The U.S. Yeah. has been hit hard. Yeah. Um, and we have one of our our directors organized a group that was ready to go when the pandemic hit and so every fall and spring they've been like okay can we go now no okay next season can we go no no mm -hmm. so i we we just uh, emailed each other uh, actually just yesterday because i was checking in with her her name is uh sydney freimeyer Mm -hmm. And uh, Sydney said, we don't care what the conditions are. We are going in October this year. We're, you know, we, we're, we recognize we're not going to be able to go this spring, but we're going. This right. is it. <laughs> We've right. waited almost three years. Um, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully that happens. We, when the pandemic hit, we had just finished a project with a medical clinic in the Basa area, which we partnered with the government to do, uh -huh. which was a first. We've, in fact, actually tried to avoid having any involvement with the government because over there there's corruption and it's just the the people in Basa they don't <laughs> they don't trust the government. Yeah. But um, the government had offered to build. A medical clinic in the area um, <laughs> but they weren't going to staff it and they weren't going to build restrooms uh, there would be no washing facilities or toilets uh, to go with it so we our our local team the Basa Foundation uh, Nepal um, said well we can take care of that through our American uh, 
NGO. Uh-huh. And so uh-huh. we we financed uh, building, adding the restrooms, and uh, hiring a physician's assistant to staff it. And uh, so it's it's been operating uh, during the pandemic. Um, and our you know our our local team has been monitoring it. And then the one project we funded, uh, j- which was just completed. Um, a couple months ago was a playground for the school because the <laughs> the school right by the school there's a 1000 foot drop off down into a river uh it's just the basa village is built on the side of this mountain and uh the it's terraced so that people can you know have homes and yeah, their little yeah. farm plots um but uh, there's this steep drop off right by the school. And uh, so, you know, when we take soccer balls and things like that over there, and the next time we come back, they were all gone. Going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are they? Um, down there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, we uh, funded and the villagers built a wall uh, and they smoothed out uh, a big area around the school um, and they had to buy the uh, some property from the nearby uh, landowner farmer um, and so now the kids have a playground hey great my man you have been doing some really wonderful stuff really encouraging and inspiring um, basically when you look at what is happening in the world today I mean let's let's put covid aside we have had so many different challenges with uh, racial discrimination, um, the disparity between male and female in terms of equal work, equal pay, stuff like that. Uh, we have had hunger in so many places worldwide, lack of infrastructure, some things that you have addressed through your organization. But if there's one thing that really peeves you in terms of what the world is struggling with and, and you had an opportunity to address it, what would that one thing be for you? Yeah, well, I think the biggest challenge we have is climate change. Okay, Be- because every everything is at risk. Right. If you know, if the world becomes, I mean, if Earth becomes inhabitable, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, all sorts of horrible things are going to start happening. And yeah. you know, I mean, like you know, poverty, um, hunger things like that, that that are problems that we need to do better at addressing now, but all of those are going to get worse with climate change because the, mm-hmm. you know, the hottest areas now are going to get hotter to the point that people can't live there. Okay. Um, and uh, I mean, the crops are, are not going to be able to be planted. Uh, animals are going to die populations of humans are going to start moving in mass which is going to cause all sorts of greater tensions and wars and things like that so i i think the most important challenge is climate change while at the same time you know Mm -hmm. every one of those things you mentioned uh you know racial strife uh racial justice uh 
you know, gender justice, clarity mm, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. All, all, yeah, all of those. You know, we need to keep working on. But all right. if we don't, if we don't get climate change under control, <laughs> we're all going to die anyway. <laughs> <laughs> wow, uh, that that's a realistic um, way of looking at it as well. And um, I know that you are quite a pragmatic individual, but I'm thinking that the leaders of, of, of countries and nations and organizations that can make a difference, are they really doing what they need to do? And if you, if you had the opportunity to advise them because you have had so much success in the things that you're doing and you had a stage and opportunity to say to the leaders something that would put them in the right direction. And I'm not saying that they are not doing anything or they are not in the right direction, but there's always so much more that can be done, you know, in different parts of the world for development, for growth, uh, to put things in place so that we can mitigate against certain circumstances. But what would be your biggest advice to world leaders as, as you, you think about this climate control scenario? What would you say to them? Yeah, I, I think there's two things. Um, mm -hmm. Number one, I think at this point, industry is doing a better job than government. Wow. Yeah. I, I think that the, you know, development of uh, all sorts of renewable energies, alternative, mm -hmm. alternatives to coal, oil, gas, um, you know, private enterprise business mm -hmm. is, uh, is doing that. And so, number one, for the governments to get out of the way and to assist. Right. You know, assist yeah. in the those renewable energy sources. I mean, you know, we just heard from England that they have successfully done a fusion, which right. would be, right. you know, that'd be the answer. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. it's going to take decades probably to develop it. But so, you know, the, the inventors, the people that are brilliant at creating new uh you know, non-polluting energy sources get out of their way and give them a hand and do that all around the world, everywhere, you know, not just in the developed countries and the rich countries, because there's a lot of really smart and genius people in the mm -hmm. less developed countries that just, you know, they need the resources to, yeah. to try. Right. And, and that's so important because, uh, you know, it, it's like, okay, we need to recognize what our true role is and everybody can play a part in helping things get better because all our future is involved. I mean, planet's Earth future is involved. So that's a very important uh, advice. Um, I'm thinking there's, there's this foundation that you and your wife have launched Tell us a little bit about that, and and what was the inspiration behind you launching that foundation? Oh, um, yeah, you you mean the uh, uh, the Indiana uh, chapter right. of the yeah. American yeah. Civil Liberties mm -hmm. Union? Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. so um, a lot of organizations, especially nonprofit organizations, have internship programs, and they don't pay these students. Uh, to be interns and the idea is oh well you know you'll get great experience and that'll you can put that on your resume and that'll help you get a job well okay. kids who don't have parents well off enough can't good you know they need to get paid right so the um 
the, the Indiana chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union, um, I've, you know, sort of been in, in not really involved with it, but have been aware of it and thought it's been a good organization for a long time, ever since I was a law student decades ago. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and they've done a lot of important legal work uh, in our state, you know, representing people who uh, have been, who's basically whose constitutional rights have been infringed on one way or another. And from, you know, student, uh, students wanting to start newspapers in their school, um, LGBTQ kids wanting to have organizations, prisoners claiming uh, that their rights are violated in jail or in prison, um, and, and all sorts of like, you know, issues we just talked about, racial justice, uh, gender discrimination. So that's the, the organization is devoted to that. Well, they've always had student interns that they've never paid. Okay. So okay. we um, uh, created a fund to pay for their interns. So they had, um, I think it's nine interns um, that now get paid through the fund that my wife and I established. Wonderful. Wow. wow. We, we just want to say thank you, Jeff, to you and your wife and your people, your organization for all the wonderful stuff that you're doing to contribute to growth, to development, and to add value to people's life. We need more individuals like that lending a hand and you know using their time and their effort and their resources to just make a difference in people's life because that's what we're really all about. That's the main purpose why God put us here and give us the things that we have. So uh, we are a little bit over, but I just want to give you a minute to say to people, if you if they want to get in contact with you, if they want to get your books, if they want to have you speak at a forum or give advice on philanthropy and other stuff, how can they get in contact with you and what are some of your handles for your book publications and so on? Yeah, well, thanks, Andy. Um, sure. The easiest way would be through my website, which is my full name, um, mm -hmm. www.jeffrey.com. Dot com and I you can contact me by email uh, through the website I also have an Amazon author page so just right. you know input right. my name in Amazon or Google it and you'll find me uh, and I'm always glad to be in touch with uh, people like the wonderful people uh, who listen and watch your show Andy yeah thank you thank you so much Jeff and you have been a wonderful guest. We have had the presence of Jeff Rasley in the Breakout Room Live on Andy's personal development, sharing his passion for life and the development and growth of other people and the contributions that his organizations have made in Nepal and other places with infrastructure and personal growth and human development. And it has been a wonderful time having him here and sharing all this information, this inspiration. We hope that we have added value to your lives. And we say as we leave at this time, remember, you have to work hard in life. Nothing comes easy. But guys, be safe. Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy your life. Learn and develop 1% every day, one step at a time. It is a process. And remember, always seek in everything you do to have health, happiness and prosperity we love you 
And we say thank you and bye for now from Andy's personal development in the breakout room. See you next time.